This is No Creamer. I'm Nick Richards, and today I'm joined by Sarah. She is a former barista who left the coffee industry to focus on working in mental health. I've been chatting with her a little bit leading up to the show. Today, we're going to have a good conversation about mental health, the coffee industry, and women in coffee. Sarah, I'm really stoked to have this conversation with you. How are you doing? I'm so excited to have this conversation too. I feel like I have this conversation uh, with uh, lots of people and doing good. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like in listening back to some previous episodes, I can tell the things that I'm passionate about. And I feel like for a lot of people at some point in their day, it's natural for those things that you're passionate about to just come up in conversation. So which of those two things do you feel like comes up the most for you? Mental health, yeah. definitely. Mental health, yeah. So you you left being a barista. Um, was there something about the coffee industry that was a, that played a role in that to to champion on into learning in that uh, new field for you, or was that something that you were previously passionate about and you know it was just the right time to dive in? How did that all play together? That's a that's a big question. Starting out, <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see if I can narrow it down. I mean. I've always been passionate about mental health. I was always hoping to end up in mental health one day, but mental health requires a lot of training and a lot of trust Mm -hmm. that comes through um, degrees and licenses and certifications, understandably, as they should. Absolutely. Um, Those I don't have. And, um, you know, it's funny the coffee industry is a huge mix of people who are, um, who have degrees or certifications or licenses and people who don't. But, uh, I feel like one thing that led me pretty, um, smoothly from coffee into mental health was just wanting to do something that I didn't feel like I was having to sell my soul Mm. to do. I think to answer your question, there was, an underlying desire kind of like arc that I was hoping was always aiming me in this direction. But, uh, I did kind of have my final moments with coffee that made me, you know, check out. I totally understand that. I mean, I came from a decade working for a similar siren led company as yourself (laughs) to, Mm -hmm. to not put the exact name on it. And I, you know, I absolutely see the, the wide, um, gamut of people that are in that, that are uh, pursuing different degrees for the field that uh, interested you, but also people that have received care from that industry as well. Um, The question I kind of want to jump into is, is do you feel like, and I know this is another big one, but I think this is a good conversation to have. What do you feel like the expectations placed on baristas and roasters and just normal in the coffee industry? What do you think that level of uh, work output does to someone's mental health? The work uh, expectation is always the same. Mm -hmm. I think wherever you go, and I think a lot of people know that a lot of baristas can usually name like four or five coffee shops, depending on how long they've been in the industry that they've worked at and kind of feel the same, the similar um, expectations at each. Um, But the... I think the personal outcome is so vastly different depending on uh, so many different things, like where we come from, the things that we've experienced, uh, our daily like thought life. Mm -hmm. And um, 
One thing I think is really interesting about coffee is that while it's incredibly mindful and um, even actually, I would say, especially when you are expected to put out um, very quickly um, and to put out very high quality things, there is a sort of mindful engagement in that that can kind of act as a departure from um, the, I would say, like physical demand that that puts on you. Totally. And uh, for some people, that's really great. And for some people, that's really great for a time. But um, yeah, I would say it's just it's just so different how that affects people. For me personally, I think I lost myself in the flow of coffee really easily. Was able to kind of um, check out and throw myself into the work. Yep. And um, I do think that is very a very healthy response to engaging in something that we're passionate about in a way that we can kind of autopilot that kind of um, demand. Mm-hmm. But I guess I would say for me in the end, working on autopilot allows my brain to kind of wander. And um, especially if I get stuck on a certain emotion and a certain frustration, I think instead of being able to take a break and check out of that, I can get stuck in that because of the constant physical demands, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. Well, especially like, you know, the constant physical demand can be a good and a bad thing, kind of like what you're saying. Like if it's you know, you're stepping in, you're passionate about your work, you know that you're going to do good for a lot of people in the day, but you might step Mm -hmm. into that with something that you need to take care of beforehand. And I think that's a, you know, a very um, common experience for people in a fast paced work environment that asks you to leave those corner, those sort of like existential life questions at the door to get the job done. Mm. And, you know, then when, when, when you get to leave, you've been passionate about the work that you're doing all day, that thing's kind of left there waiting for you to take care of afterwards. Oh yeah. And I think that's, yeah, like that's to me, that's one of the big challenges with something that asks so much output and not every shop that I worked in asked that, but there are definitely times where, you know, you've got a lot on your mind and you got to go in and just kind of crank it out. And that can, you know, there's some good things that can come from that. You can have enough time to process and think about, you know, a different perspective on the thing that you're dealing with before you return Mm -hmm. to it. But, you know, it can also, you know, just leave something hanging in the balance for you to return to. And that's both of those things have different challenges to them. One thing that can contribute to that as well is, the fact that you go, you go into, I, I hate using you statements. I mean, it's I statements. <laughs> um, I, I go into the work environment as a barista. Um, and there's no mode for me to switch into because sometimes working in coffee can feel so comfortable. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where you're working with um, coworkers that you've had a lot of time to engage with on a personal level, a lot of customers that you've engaged with on a personal level, people that you feel like you genuinely know and care for. And um, I think there's a lot of jobs where you step into your job and you can kind of emotionally shut the door on everything else. And that's a huge thing about coffee is you're just leaving 
I, for me, leaving the door wide open and walking through with the same amount of compassion mm. and empathy for the world as I have when I'm not working. And so that can be really draining because of all of those personal conversations that are happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, you know, I had this conversation um, a couple of times now, you know, coffee is a social experience. You know, it can be something that's enjoyed, you know, in the comfort of your own home or on your own, but kind of like wine, coffee sort of brings and asks a social experience of itself. So you're exactly right. You're coming into a space where there's conversation that is expected from both your coworkers and your, uh, your customers. Both are great things. But like we've said, if you bring a lot of the stuff that you are, you know, still processing in your own, um, in your own mind to that environment, good or not, there's just a lot to, to unpack there for sure. Mm-hmm. Lots of boundaries. Lots of boundaries. <laughs> so it's been two years for you since being a barista. And you said, are you pursuing a particular certificate or um, degree or something of that nature? Um, I am not currently pursuing anything. Um, a big part of that is jumping into mental health. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize how many avenues there are to go down. <laughs> there are just, I mean, you think like, okay, I want to go into mental health. I'll be a therapist. Exactly. Yeah. I found out very quickly that I did not want to be a therapist. I definitely wanted to work in mental health, but that was not at all my capacity. Um, and then I ended up kind of over the, the few different positions that I've had in mental health, really loving working with children Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's actually something I really never thought would be my, uh, my path. But what I hope to end up doing is um, getting whatever I need to get in order to help um, make decisions about children who are uh, in the general education system, who are being removed for being um, too violent, who are deemed too violent for general education because I worked in that for some time and I found that I was extremely passionate and uh, found it really played on my own instincts on how to react to those situations. So that's what I hope to do. I feel like that takes a really, I don't want to use the word unique because that just doesn't seem big enough. I feel like that takes a very specific person with a very um, big awareness of self to put themselves in a scenario where other people have deemed the people that they're trying to work with to not be of a caliber to be worked with. That asks a lot of that person. That's mm -hmm. a really huge role to step into. Was there an experience that you had so far in doing that type of work that you would say is the most rewarding one? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and I know there's um, like some parameters you can and can't talk about certain specifics, but if you can generalize about it, that would be awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I'll speak in generalities. Um, I was working in the school system in Dallas and um, I was training to go into a kind of higher grade level with students who were being removed for uh, violence. And um, I kind of felt like, give me the older, like the older, the better. Okay. And I was, I was really excited to work with like third to sixth grade. Um, and I really thought that's where I was going to be placed. 
And I got a call on like a Sunday night and they were like, Hey, um, Monday, you're going to report to a different school. You're actually going to be working with a student. We just had an emergency placement. Uh, He's four years old. He's the youngest person to ever be pulled into this program. We need you there. Uh, We don't know what we're doing. We don't have any program designed for a child this young, but uh, let's let's get going. We show up Monday morning. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, and I was so upset. I was like, Oh no, like I wanted to be working with the kids that I could talk to, not a four-year-old Yeah. in the end spent, uh, every day, eight hours a day with this one, uh, four-year-old child. And by the end of it, it was like, I mean, I was, I, I don't want to say this in a way that I'm like boasting about anything, Absolutely, but yeah. There were, but there were a lot of people looking in on the work that I was doing with him every day and saying, this is nothing like we've seen before. He's been improving exponentially. Um, and there was just so much that was happening in his behavior that um, a lot of people associated with the relationship and the rapport that I had built with him. And I felt so just so lucky like I was receiving all of that from him the trust and uh really the trust that he was putting in my hands to be able to de-escalate him which is very difficult because um there's a lot of times in uh when you're working with kids who are um deemed too violent for the general education system Mm -hmm. that we have to actually use physical restraint Mm. because the situation becomes so violent. And that's hard to have a child trust you that you are also having to physically restrain. Yet somehow the outcome of this relationship that we were building together um, was so that he was able to go from where he came in absolutely uh, no idea what they were going to do with him to graduating into the next grade and that's awesome. um, yeah and being able to start being reintroduced to general education that's a really wonderful accomplishment and I hear what you're saying because you're like you've been given this responsibility and it's because of the relationship that's being built not just of your own skill but of this this kid that's that's learning through the interactions with you to to rise out of whatever um, scenario is causing their response. So it's like this teamwork thing that you've built with the kid to reach that accomplishment. It's not solely on you. It's on it's on both of you working together. So I absolutely I hear what you're saying when it's not like I don't want to boast in my work because it's not just your work that's making it possible. It's the child's response and working Mm -hmm. alongside you that's making that possible. That's a really, really wonderful uh, story to hear. That's super cool. Do you feel like your time in the coffee industry prepared you to work with, with people that are, you know, approaching the world with a more violent I don't know what the right terminology to use here is. Behavior, maybe Behavior. like, yeah, like neurodivergent um, people. Yeah. Yeah. I think what it comes back to is uh, compassion. Like it, it literally yeah. all, for me, it this just ends up back there again and again. 
And um, I think working in coffee was such a safe place for me. There were definitely um, situations that uh, didn't work out so well as others, places where I got frustrated or felt taken advantage of um, in coffee. But in a very general sense, I felt like I could trust that the people around me were coming at this um, work from the same angle that I was, which is with a sense of openness and um, passion and empathy. That's awesome. And I just don't think that, I just don't think that you can do coffee unless you possess that ability to uh, see people in a way that is just uh, like radically open and open-handed and ready to um, embrace people where they are and who they are. And that absolutely has everything to do with moving into a career path that um, was just, is just people centered. Yeah. I definitely think, you know, day one, it asks you to think outside of yourself. What would you say is the most tangible or most um, understandable way that you've grown in the last year? A way that I, a big way that I've grown this past year is, um, has a lot to do with feeling safe. Okay. And, um, that's seems small, but safety is, uh, the root of our being. It's actually our most primal instinct. (laughs) And, um, we hardly know it. We're hardly conscious to it, but safety plays into so many of our behaviors and so many of our decisions, whether we feel happy with our work in our relationship, um, how we connect to others and how we move through the world. I would say in the middle of a global pandemic to um, try to find what is safe was kind of the overall goal of humanity. But um, it's more than just about health. I think safety safety has to do with uh, grounding ourselves in our reality, which has to do with recognizing what all is uh, good that is around us. And that was a whole lot of this year for me was looking around and saying, this is good. This is safe. Yeah. I feel like, you know, a conversation that I had over and over again was that, you know, there, even when small problems or small tasks came up, there is this looming thing that was without solve at the time, without any sort of understanding for cure or an answer or whatever. There was this large looming problem that we didn't have an answer for. And so all of these smaller things became exponentially more challenging. Mm. I think that looking for those small aspects of your day to say, wow, this is a, this is a huge blessing in my day, even though it's, you know, something as simple as being able to be warm and dry when I wake up, Mm. you know, like that's a, not a common experience around the world to be able to have that little thing amidst such a large looming issue globally is something really wonderful to, you know, like immediately upon waking be like, yeah, man, 
I've got something that is really uh, a solid way to, you know, approach my day saying this initial thing is present for me and that initial thing is good. I, I think another thing too is just when we're in the middle of a pandemic that has to do with um, breath, that has to do with oh my gosh, like yeah. this is airborne. This is about. It's not just that it's airborne; it's that it comes into our lungs, that it affects our breathing, and and this is such a such a core aspect of safety is our breath, and trying to find um, a moment to be able to say to ourselves that we're breathing, we're here, it's okay. Um, for me, that was a huge part of that. Like you're saying like this, for me, it was like waking up and acknowledging like, this is, this is what I have. Like I'm dry, I'm safe. For me, it was walking outside for the first time ever, just walking mm, yeah. and knowing that in a world where every, every breath feels so unsafe that I can start walking, um, on a, on a dead street or, you know, and here I live in the mountains now up into the mountains and say, I can breathe here. <laughs> I'm safe here. I can breathe. Um, and it, it really all goes back to, um, our primal needs really. Did you take up running at all during the last year? If you hadn't before? Absolutely not. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, I feel like running that that's just too much for me. I like a nice brisk walk. Yeah. Outside of like required school activity had never electively chosen to go for a run. And, um, middle of April last year, I found myself just like really enjoying a good couple of miles similar because of, the the reasons that we've both expressed there was just something about being able to breathe in deep and be outside and especially in the case for for are you in north carolina is that right yes that mountain air is so pure and clean like oh, it yeah. just it smell it's got a different smell to it it hits different my, Chris. <laughs> oh yeah my family when i was in let's see when would this have been eighth grade we moved up to Washington state and I remember getting off the plane after having lived in Oklahoma and Texas for a while. And it just, it smelled good. Mm. And like, you could, you could see to the bottom of the lake, like not dogging on Lake Grapevine over here for any reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, White, White Rock, I, uh, yeah. I can't see in those lakes and that scares the junk out of me being able to <laughs> me, me too that yeah it's scary like what's down there what's i mean i psych my out myself out so much anytime it's like hey let's go for a lake down I'm like nah bro i can't see in the water <laughs> like i know there's no logical reason for me to think that there's some kind of sea creature that you know wants my foot in there but i think about it the entire time <laughs> i can't get around I that I, I will tell you the most messed up thing that happened in my childhood was I was on a boat with my mom. Okay. We were like out in the middle of the ocean. I grew up in Florida. So like lots of, lots of ocean themed uh, memories, <laughs> but, uh, and I, and I feel the same way, like never could get past the point where I could see, but, um, I was kind of timid, like about the water as a kid. And then one day we were just riding on this boat and I'm just minding my business uh, looking out on the ocean and my mom looks at me and she says, 
You know, every 10 seconds that you're in the ocean, something big enough to eat you sees you. (laughs) No, no way. Yeah, that was forever. Like that is forever ingrained. Probably, I want to say like maybe six. Like Uh, I was maybe six. How many times did you dare to be in the ocean after that? Or is it... I can honestly tell you zero. Yeah, I, I will walk into um, a walk into the ocean in Florida. It's really easy to walk pretty far and be able to still see. But uh, at that point, that drop off point, yeah, that's it for me. Yeah, no way. <laughs> My family sometimes vacations uh, near Destin, and. Um, if they hear this episode, I'm going to get a call and they're going to say that was the smallest jellyfish you've ever seen in your life. However, (laughs) I was stung by a jellyfish in Florida. I still have the mark on my leg small as it is. And, um, not that big of a deal, but just to know that there was something in there that, you know, wasn't me or another person was just a very strange experience. I've never had like another fish rub up against me or anything along those lines. So for the first time to be, you know, a little jellyfish thing, that was quite surprising. Nobody peed on it for me. I didn't ask. (laughs) Well, you know, what's so funny is like, I think about this exact like kind of fear whenever people talk about sensory deprivation tanks. Uh, No no way. Heck no. (laughs) But like, I've met a lot of people who are like, Oh yeah, I'd love to do that. That sounds great. I'm like, to me, that is like um, floating in the middle of the deepest part of the ocean mm-hmm. is like, that's that's exactly where my brain would go. I don't think that I would be able to close the, like even now thinking about that experience, I'm just like, that would be the worst thing. Yeah. Because yeah, hands down. I'd be fly, fight or flight immediately. Yeah. Yep. I'd be like, no, I don't. How much money for this? No, I don't care. That doesn't matter. It's the same way I feel about skydiving. Like different type of fear, but I also, I just can't jump out of a plane. That's reasonable. I, you know, I think that we were never meant to. So (laughs) we weren't, we just weren't built for that. That's a very, a very valid assessment for sure. Let's kind of jump outside of a couple of things. Did you pick up any new hobbies in the last year? Yeah. I mean... I, I, I hate to say this, like I got into photography, but just in the very, very, I didn't really, you know what I mean? Like I learned how to use a DSLR camera. So that was really fun. I mean, I've been, um, out here, there's just like so many, so many things to take pictures of. Um, so I just was like, I gotta do this. I gotta start, I gotta start doing this. Um, but one thing I got really into was taking short video clips and like editing them together Yeah, and just kind of creating these little, you know, like minute and a half, two minute long, uh, just like memory capsule videos. Are you making those just for yourself and the people you love? Or are you posting them online? Um, I've posted a few online, just like on, I've honestly only posted them on Facebook just to be like, Hey, this is what's going on. It'll be like two likes, you know, people will be like, okay, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but I love it. You know, it's just just so much fun to make. Yeah. That's really cool. So at the front end of the episode, you know, we had mentioned talking through mental health, which we've been able to touch on in a lot of really great and valuable ways. I would love to, uh, talk through women and coffee with you. That's something mm-hmm. that you know I worked with a lot of wonderful women over the years in coffee. My first 
boss, the, the person that hired me into the world of coffee. She was my boss for four years. I had another lady that was a boss um, after her, just absolutely incredible. So a lot of uh, women have poured into my life or part of my experience in the world of coffee helped me to build a career around that for almost a decade. So I just want to open the floor to you. What would you like to to talk about in regards to this? Hmm. Well, it's kind of funny because I feel like I've had the opposite experience with okay. um, just in terms of like, I haven't seen many women uh, rise in the ranks and coffee. Mm. I love that you had that experience because I feel like that's crucial for people to hear. Yeah, absolutely. There were a lot of times that um, I was working at a shop and the ratio to like overall employees, that ratio of managers Mm -hmm. um, that were, you know, male to female, that really always shocked me. I feel like at any point, um, walking into coffee shops around Dallas, I noticed that it was usually, it was a mostly female staff. I yes. Would say. Yep. And, um, same experience for me. Always. Yeah. But I would always like, there's so many women in coffee, but I would say, um, when you think about like people who are, uh, managing shops or, founding shops or, um, who are people who are having a lot of online presence, a lot of authority when it comes to coffee, it's largely male. And I just, I think that's so interesting because, um, because why, why is it that there are so many women in coffee yet we don't hear a lot from them? I found myself really struggling in coffee to, um, to get to that leadership role. Yeah, like how did that affect you? Like you see, you know, let's let's call it like a, this is my experience, it's like an 80-20 split. Mm-hmm. Women and men in coffee. But, um, you know, so how, how did that affect you seeing that percentage split in the shops that you were in and then looking at the leadership present? Is that a reason that you were like, hey, I don't know if this is something that I want to continue working in? I, I want to say no, because okay. it wasn't necessarily about, uh, it wasn't necessarily about that, but it, but my experiences were really affected by that. Okay. That makes sense. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because I just, I want to be careful with this because I know that a lot of, a lot of people might feel like they're ready for leadership mm-hmm. and that they're ready to take on some form of, um, and I say authority as in just like that you know what you're talking about, not that you're commanding, because I really believe in servant leadership. Yeah, absolutely. Putting people around you, being able to put people around you that know more than you, but also that are, you know, working with you to lead this thing together, making sure that the people that are next to you are not being seen as, you know, just here to make sure that the engine that you're driving is going specifically for you, but it's going for everybody. Yeah. And that, and that I feel like a lot of leadership is not about what you know, and it's, and it's not about your strengths, but about how you can see that in other people. Absolutely. Delegate things in a way that makes your shop so much more efficient because you're recognizing the immense amount of skill and diversity in your team. Yeah. And, um, 
And in that way, I thought that I definitely possessed that uh, and felt like, um, and in my own right, definitely knew enough about coffee to be to be there and had enough experience. But um, I found myself constantly competing with, um, gosh, I, it's so women, like they want to speak so, uh, so softly about these types of things, but I just want to be honest that I felt like I was competing with men who I, I just genuinely didn't feel like they had what I had yet. They were seen and treated differently in Mm, coffee. That's a, that's a really unfortunate, I feel like reality across the board in a lot of different areas. Yeah. And, um, it wasn't always the case. I definitely had really great experiences with coffee. I I had really great experiences with coffee and I, and I did eventually run a shop uh, on my own. That's amazing. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. And, but again, another wildly unfortunate experience because of the, um, man who was put above me. And it really, it w- it was such a, it, and I, can I name, can I name the shop that Go I'm talking about? Yeah, totally. Okay. That's up to you. So, okay. So I, um, so I was, uh, I built good companions basically from the ground up, good companions and Bishop arts. Okay. And, uh, I honestly don't even know if they're a coffee shop anymore. I've heard that they're like a sandwich shop now or something. Let me, let me Um, find out while we're talking. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't looked into them much, but, uh, at the time, like law reunion was being built right across the street and it was like a really exciting time for Bishop arts. It's so funny how long there wasn't a cop, wasn't a good coffee shop there. It looks like, like, so their, their Instagram, sorry, I didn't, uh, is that they are a pop-up cocktail bar now. So it could be something completely and totally different. Yeah. We just totally, yeah. I, they, I, I had heard that they just kind of moved out of the, of coffee, Gotcha. but which is reasonable. I think they were, they were up against some pretty healthy competition. I think white rhino is also in Bishop arts now. They are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, See, that wasn't happening when I was there. We chatted about this a little bit before the episode because you had listened to the one with Noah, but they're, you know, they're right there in Bishop Arts too. And I mean, they're, they're only in the last year. Yes. So that, that was another one. Thanks for mentioning that. Wayward also popped up there. So probably for in good companions, best interests to kind of back out. And then you have Wild Detectives too, which is just the OG. The Um, OG. The OG of Bishop Arts. But the it's vibe funny. It's in so, that shop is so good. It's so, I, I love that place. I love <laughs> that place. Um, it's so funny though, because like walking in like the downtown street, you know, like the connected streets of Bishop Arts, there yep. weren't any, there really weren't any coffee shops. And it's so crazy to think all this is happening there. Obviously too, you had Davis, you have Davis Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that's not so walkable. Anyway, so we had a, uh, Good companions kind of pop up out of nowhere along with botanist and parody. So, and I don't know if you know what those are, but they're I all just actually. three, they're three inner hospitality places. You've okay. got like a botanist is a cocktail bar. Parody. So is a restaurant and you've got 
good companions, which was a coffee shop. Okay. And they were all just kind of on this like main campus in Bishop Arts. And I want to say they were like, they just kind of popped up out of nowhere in a time when Bishop Arts was just kind of had been doing the same thing for a really long time. It was actually this guy that, uh, I, I can't even remember how we got connected, but he was kind of tasked by um, this company that was in the midst of developing Bishop Arts, not just these three um, businesses, but also these high-rise, like, luxury, like, quote-unquote, luxury apartments that were going up in the area. Yeah. Anyway, so he reached out to me, and and we talked, and he was like, look, I want you to come run this shop. And I was like, okay, finally. <laughs> somebody, <laughs> You're like, here it is. Somebody sees, yeah, so somebody sees, like, what I have to offer. Like, let me go do this. And honestly, I loved it. I worked so so hard. I, I, I'm not exaggerating. I clocked, I clocked in like a 90 hour week. Oh my gosh. I know one week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which can be actually very fun when, when you're very passionate about what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So it was so cool. I got to like pick out all of the equipment, like oversee all of these installations in the shop. I got to like pick out our uh, for the most part, the products that we were going to be offering. And uh, I got to hire my team. So uh, one of the breezes actually was Trevor. Okay. Who, yeah, who ended up going to Wayward. Um, and he had come from White Rhino too. I kind of, I worked at White Rhino for like a very short second there. Yeah. Um, so I knew him. I feel like a lot of people that I know kind of at an arm's length and, you know, even a little bit further at some point or another have been a part of Rhino. It's very, it's very strange, like how often it comes up. Yeah, no. Well, because I think um, White Rhino was like right on the verge there of of the of the waves. You know okay, what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they were, were you around in, in Ovilla? Or I mean, um, where were they? Where Where's the... It's Cedar like Hill. main road, Cedar Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever they, um, I was there when that was there. their only location back in 2010. That was my time at that spot. Yeah. So I have like, do you, I don't know if you remember, but white rhino, they used to have like Mac computers in, oh my the, gosh, in yeah. the main room. Totally. They yeah. had like two or three and of like, them. Yeah. Yeah. And you used to like, you used to like take selfies with your 100%. friends. percent. Yep. <laughs> and they had like the chalkboard. Oh my gosh, wall where are those computers background. now? Uh, yeah, who knows? All of Did our selfies. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have one of just like me and like five of my friends at the at White Rhino, and it's yeah, probably like circa like two thousand nine, like two thousand ten. Yeah, it's so funny the people who are connected to that shop, and the one that opened in Waxhatchee is just crazy. So I haven't crazy. got to so go beautiful. yet. I really want to. Really? I generally just don't make it too far past Fort Worth when it comes to coffee because there's just a lot going on in life and Fort Worth is has plenty of uh, great coffee to offer. So Rhino, definitely love you guys. Um, yeah. Stoked for their Fort Worth location because then, yeah. I'll, then I'll be able to go. <laughs> they have a man, they're going to Fort Worth now. They are, yeah, in the next couple months. You know, it's so crazy. I know we're like totally departing off of my good companions thing, but I, but I love the way that I love the way this conversation is going because something 
fascinating to me is living in North Carolina and watching like people on Instagram tag new, like they'll be like, oh, they'll take a picture in a coffee shop and you know, the geo tag is like, oh, yeah. you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, I'm like, what is this? <laughs> what, when did this, when did this happen? Where did this come from? <laughs> yeah. And it's so crazy. Cause you would think that there was a point like, over a year ago where people were like, ah, Dallas is oversaturated. Fort Worth, it's, it's oversaturated. Yep. Like, it's done. And yet people have managed to continue to open these incredibly cool, incredibly successful shops. I just think in the middle of a pandemic, it's just so cool. That's the thing that I think is the, the coolest part is in the middle of a pandemic. And I do want to shout out, I'm sure there are probably more but I do want to at least shout out Lazy Daisy and Vita Coffee in the Fort Worth and Waxahachie area, founded mm. by women, being led by mm. incredible teams of women. So I do want to shout them out in the middle of this conversation just to say, y'all are killing it. Keep going. Yes. I, I was going to mention Vita. I didn't know if you if you knew yeah. about them. Um, I, I love like watching what's going on from afar uh, because in my tiny, tiny town, we have one like, we have one super, super cool coffee shop and like, that's it. And I could drive like an hour to maybe another one, but. <laughs> Is that the one that you, you said you got um, beans from parlor? Is that who carries those? Yes. Yeah. They call, yeah, they carry parlor from Brooklyn because um, actually the, uh, the owners who came here and built this coffee shop four years ago, they, um, they both came from New York city. So that's really cool. It's, Kind of a shout out to their hometown. Yeah. What do you what do you usually get when you go there? I feel like this is like also another like whole conversation because <laughs> <laughs> because I think what you get at a coffee shop depends a lot on what you're about to do. I and love that this conversation is so much broader than just like this is what I get every single day. So go for it. <laughs> Yes, I feel like it depends so much on what in what's about to go down. Like, am I going to sit down and like read a book and maybe write some poetry? Mm. I'm definitely just going to get some espresso. Um, if or you've a long black. Okay. If you've got like a list of got to hit the grocery store and I've got to go get this thing for this friend that I need to take care of because I know they're stuck at home during COVID and they can't come out this week. And I've got X, Y, and Z other thing. What What's the drink to fuel the day? A short iced Americano. Okay. Just going straight in for it. Yeah. <laughs> just like, give me, give me the, I think I'm always just trying to get a long black. Just yeah. like, give it, give that to me and whatever. Okay. So this is like really annoying. I don't know if you experienced this, like having been a barista for so long, I am, I'm the most annoying customer because I'll be like, uh, I'll do it in the nicest way possible, but I'd be like, Hey, so, um, can you like pour the shots, but then like, you know, put it in first and then like put the water in second, like not the ice yet. Like don't put the ice in with yep. the espresso, you know, I'll be like, I'll be like, and then can you just do like, I'll be like this much coffee, you know, like give them a little, like use my fingers and like this, about this much, uh, this much water on top of the espresso. And then, you know, maybe like this much ice. And what's and, the response? Uh, <laughs> Do you have someone oh, that like knows you by now? And they're like, I got you. Yes. Yeah, no, I do. Like, they're like, yeah, that's exactly what they say. They go, I got you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, sometimes they don't got me. Sometimes I get my drink and I'm like, eh. 
but that's okay. This is, this is okay. I, I, I'll take this. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I do want to give you the time to talk about your experience with good companions. If you want to expand upon any of that. So, you know, you were, you were tagged for this, this role to lead and build a team for the shop, but that kind of was a, um, a mark on your experience, not in a positive way after everything kind of transpired there. Is that kind of what I'm getting? Yes. That, that was the last, that was the last time I worked in coffee, Gotcha. which actually felt at the time, like I was hitting, um, hitting a new stride in coffee Hmm. being, feeling feeling like I definitely was being passed the torch. Like it's time you're doing it. Like let's go. Yeah. Here's the unfortunate thing about, uh, what can sometimes come across as a neighborhood or community centered or independent coffee shop is that sometimes the, this, the drive or the funding sources behind those shops um, can sometimes actually be uh, multimillionaires. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, and it might seem a little bit homegrown, like a little grassroots, um, but it's not always. Yeah. It's just like and a savings account from someone that's got a frick ton of money. Absolutely. And um, that was kind of the case. I was really excited to finally lead a team and I did get a chance to for a very short while. And actually what's kind of funny and I hope he listens to this episode, but they, uh, they approached me at some point, they saw me working these like 16 hour days. They're like, Hey, I think you need to, to promote somebody to assistant manager. I felt like there was no doubt in my mind that would be Trevor. Mm, he's he's just so so solid um such a good barista and uh and the thing is is like everyone that i had picked for that team there was really really good and people who and i fought for uh just like probably a higher than average base pay for them and um really had a lot of like um conversations about like, look, dude, I'm not going to be that person who says like, you're, you can't, um, read a book like during downtime. Like there's some shops that are like, if you can lean, you can clean. Like (laughs) I, I trust that I hired a bunch of competent people who know what needs to be done, what needs to be done. Like, yeah, you guys want to, yeah, you guys want to chill out and talk, like read a book, like whatever. Um, I trust you guys. I, I hired you for a reason, but Trevor was, you know, all everybody there was so good at um, what they did. But one thing I really, really liked about Trevor was just, he, he's just so down to earth. He is. Um, I really and, like that guy. <laughs> yeah. He, he's very likable. He's yeah. just very, very likable person. And so I uh, definitely had, my eye on him for, uh, that decision, which they were kind of putting in my hands to make, you know, kind of out of left field. One day I was closing up the store. This is not like, it's maybe a couple weeks after the grand opening and we were doing really well. I had the, uh, general manager of the property. Again, like I said, this is like, this is, these are multimillionaires like funding this, uh, kind of operation, which was really meant to attract people to Bishop Arts, which would attract them to the luxury 
apartment buildings. Oh, so okay, almost, I see. Yes, yeah, so almost kind of like a front for like, hey, Bishop Arts has got this going on. Like, you should don't live you here. Wanna, yeah, yeah, yeah. You should live here. Yeah, I got like called into this meeting. They're like, hey, after you close up the shop, like come meet with us. I went and met with the manager over the property, and she was like basically got got a message from from up above from the people up above and uh we're gonna let you go oh my gosh it was i didn't tell you i thought i've never felt more like i was possibly in a dream like i was like no this can't be real yeah uh, I had great relationships with everybody i had worked really hard and uh Oh my God. I was, I was so shocked. And I asked him, I'm like, why, what, well, what did I do? Like, can you, can you point to it? And mind you at this point, I had given, been given no, um, constructive criticism. There was no coaching going on, nothing. Like it was like, Oh, good job. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, and their response to me was, Oh, we just don't think you handle, you, you've been handling the changes very well. Um, which didn't make any sense. And so I just kind of had to let it go there. Obviously there was nothing that I could say. I remember just kind of getting in my car that day and having this, this like really intense moment with myself and kind of coming face to face with like the hostility that can be behind the food service industry yeah, um, and how cutthroat really it can be sometimes and uh, how much passion we, we give of ourselves to, to coffee and to sometimes be let down. You know, that's not everyone's experience, but I do know, you know, a lot of people have had um, some sort of experience in that way. Um, and I felt like I, I couldn't, I could, I just, I, that was it for me. I was like, I can't, I can't give any more myself to this industry than I gave this go around. And, uh, I think it's time for me to check out. Yeah. To run so hard for something to not be, you know, coached along the way into some, into some different thing that, they might've been expecting for whatever reason for all of those things to play into a single moment that didn't have any reasons or growth opportunities to, to, you know, fix something or whatever it might've, or whatever, whatever, just to have that happen out of the blue. I can definitely see that being the, you know, like, all right, like got this opportunity and now, you know, we're a couple of weeks past grand opening, been doing awesome, been working 16 hours a day to just be kind of seen out of left field, that opportunity come to a close, I'd be like, okay, I, I think this is my time to dip out. I think I'd have the same perspective. Yeah. And you know what I think? I don't want to speak for all women in coffee, but I, I, can, I feel like I can speak on behalf of the women that I know in coffee. Yeah, totally. I think that volatile experience um, in coffee is, is not so um, unique. Mm-hmm to women in the coffee industry, whether, you know, if it's not always being put in a position of trust and then being taken away from that. Um, but sometimes it can just be, um, being overlooked. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a big conversation and I, and I know that there are people out there having this conversation. In fact, I wish I had, um, I wish I had, uh, 
thought it, to look up this Instagram, but there's an Instagram account that's got a lot of followers and they are kind of a like grassroots like organization that's meant to like um, vocalize the uh, kind of injustices happening to already marginalized people in the coffee industry. Which includes women and goes beyond that. I feel like there's a lot of, you know, processes and procedures through all the different steps in the coffee industry, not just like in the cafes, but in the farming and in the roasting process, especially I want to say like at the very front end of the process in the farming, there's a lot that goes on there to make the however many millions of cups of coffee a day possible. And only a small percentage of those people are being honored with dignity and pay and time for anything that's not their work. I do think that that's one of those things that, you know, we, we just kind of come to expect that this got here in a responsible way. And that's not always the case. Yeah. Not to look beyond people, but, but if we did look beyond people, even just into, um, are in the coffee's impact on the ecosystem. Absolutely. No question about it. So there's a lot, I mean, there's a, I don't want to be like negative Nancy. Like I love coffee. I loved working in it. I can genuinely say that working in coffee brought me to the point where I am in my life right now. Same here. Yeah. And, um, and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that experience. Um, but there is much to be, um, to be scrutinized, you well, know, in coffee. Yeah. I'm a believer that, you know, I'm a believer that things can always be done better. And I feel like that doesn't mean that, you know, everything is bad and wrong, but that does mean that we have a responsibility as the caretakers of the things that we're passionate about to say, nah, that could be done better. This isn't the way that this process should be going. And that applies to so many things. But when we're talking about the coffee industry, there are plenty of things that could be done better and a huge, you know, just absolute, um, another big pat on the back to companies like Onyx that are doing everything they can to be friends with the farmers, to pay the farmers the wages that they are due to, you know, set up good, uh, conditions for them to to live in, to make the product and to charge more for it so that they can pay them more for it. And it's good coffee. That's great. Yeah. So awesome. I lo- I, I feel like it all goes back to honesty. Yeah. And compassion, and, um, like what you're talking about at the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like there, I think anybody working in coffee bears the weight of um, that responsibility to look honestly at just the culture that they're creating in their shop, just who they're giving a voice to, who they're paying attention to, who mm-hmm. they're um, encouraging and elevating and pushing. Uh, and and yeah, all the way, like you said, and it goes all the way back down to the source. And that's the great thing about coffee is that you can have the expectation that people um, – have the ability to recognize those things and have the ability to affect change on them. Absolutely. Yeah. That is the cool thing is like, we're having the conversation about the things that are needing care and we're absolutely by no stretch of the imagination, 
the only people having the conversation. This is a far widespread conversation about how the coffee industry cares for itself and for all of the people behind the bar in front of it, everybody that's involved. It's a really wonderful uh, industry that has, you know, grown in the last, really in the last 60 years at a exponential rate. Mm-hmm. I have loved every second of this conversation. We have a closing segment called Name That Drink. Okay. <laughs> which <laughs> you've listened, you're kind of prepared for. Who okay. is your favorite character in books, movies, TV shows? Who would it be? Oh, okay. Um, well, uh, I, you know, I feel like when I, when I get asked the favorite question, I it's always kind of yeah. go to... I was going to go to like where I'm at in the moment. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with uh, Paul Atreides of Dune. Oh man. Are you reading it right now? I just finished it. Okay. I'm so pumped for this movie. Holy cow. Oh my gosh. I, cannot... I can't even tell you how excited I am. Okay. I just, I cannot wait. That trailer for <laughs> like, I haven't read Dune. I've always wanted to read Dune. I mm-hmm. know the inspiration that comes for a lot of sci-fi and Star Wars comes from Dune. Mm-hmm. So my hype is real. Um, yes. So if Paul walking through his desert, like his bad self, um, yes. walks Timothy into his, there you go. Yeah. Which just like, what an actor, man. What a great <laughs> actor to pick for that role. I, I, you know what? I tried to fight it off. I can't resist. I love him. <laughs> I just love him. He's so good. So if he's at, you know, so Timothy as Paul, let's, let's go like dive in right to the, you know, greatness of the character walking into his, uh, coffee shop. What is he going to order? Man, definitely, definitely just an espresso. Yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like that's such an obvious answer. I don't know why, because it's like, (laughs) that is so, that is the most like specific thing I'll ever make an opinion on. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think Paul Atreides would have an espresso uh, because I just feel like he's a very serious, uh, very serious man. He's got to do. Yeah. He's, uh, he's probably going to sit and he's going to think and he's going to sip on it. And uh, then he's going to go on about his day and he's going to, he's going to climb on top of a sandworm and just <laughs> see yeah, that's it. That's all. I, that's what I picture. There you go. He, is he taking the espresso with him, or is he finished it before he walks out the door? Because uh, just the picture of him with a like you know little <laughs> two ouncer on the top of the sandworm is kind of <laughs> hilarious. But I'll leave it for for <laughs> wherever he needs to leave it. I'm gonna say like his father, uh, the Duke of Atreides. Um, he is kind of a people person at heart, but okay. he really. Um, wants to put people first. And I want to say that he sits and he enjoys the espresso, uh, maybe to connect, maybe just connect with, with himself or with uh, the strangers that he's observing. And uh, he's going to use that energy and that knowledge and he's going to make, he's going to make uh, Arrakis a better place. Well, Sarah, it really was a joy to have this conversation with you. You win the award for the longest episode so far, which was a great episode <laughs> for that. Um, thank you very much for being on the show. I loved it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. As always, no coffee is harmed in the making of this episode because this is No, no Creamer. creamer.